It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz. Thanks for allowing us to spend some time with you. And we're going to have Emily Campagna. You know her from Fox News. She was a Raiderette. She's a talented attorney. She's a co-host of Outnumbered. And she's got a rocking podcast called Fox True Crime Podcast with Emily Campagna. So um, lots to talk about with her. I've gotten to know her over the, the years here at Fox and outbounding, energetic, and really successful. And I, th- I think we'll have a good conversation. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about the news. We're going to highlight the stupid because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we'll give a call to Emily and we'll we'll go from there. But I want to start with uh, the news. And I, I was just kind of skimming through social media and I saw this uh post from Harris Faulkner. Harris Faulkner, who also spends a lot of time on Outnumbered and hosts the Faulkner Focus, etc. She's uh, one of my favorites at Fox, but she had posted up this thing and she had said, anybody at Time, for the younger generation, Time used to be a big deal. Time Magazine was like the Time Magazine. It's like, whoa, now they've just kind of fluttered off into oblivion. The magazine's not much to care for and And their reporting is obviously suffering because Harris Faulkner uh, wrote, anybody at time care to get the facts straight on this? He's not a Texas man. That's an insult insult to Texans and to every American. And she goes on. And what she's talking about was a post that they put up. And it was a... um, It was about the person who allegedly murdered... uh, five people um, by going in and shooting and killing them, including an eight-year-old. Here's what Time had Time posted on their social media. A Texas man went next door with a rifle and began shooting his neighbors, killing an eight-year-old and four others inside the house. After the family asked him to stop firing rounds in the yard because they were trying to sleep, authorities said Saturday. The point that Harris Faulkner made and that I want to reiterate, and I think it's newsworthy, is it starts with a Texas man. No, it wasn't. The allegation, the suspect, is an illegal alien. They're here illegally. The suspect allegedly had been in the country illegally, deported. In the country illegally again, deported again. In the country again, deported again. In the country again, deported and he was back yet again and then we have these murders on their hand don't say that he was a texan a texas man that's not who it was this person wasn't from texas this person was from i don't know which country doesn't really matter but he wasn't a texan he wasn't a texas man and i think that's the point it's not even an american and why not tell the truth time Why not actually say it out loud? Why the political correctness to ignore the facts of the case, which is, you know, the suspect is an illegal alien. They're just here illegally. Some people don't like the word alien, but that's what's embedded in the law. 
that's the way it's written on the books. And if you want to change that, then pass a law to do that. But that's the way we refer to it. And he was here illegally. That's the point. That's the point. All right. I want to move on to this uh, next next point. And hopefully you've seen this and heard about it. I don't. It's playing out in the courts as we speak. But it has to do with uh, Hunter Biden paying child support. Now, Hunter Biden contested the idea that he was the father of this now, I think, four-year-old girl. But through some testing, which they can do with science now, they figured out that, yeah, he really is the dad. And was ordered uh, by the court to pay uh, alimony to this mother who is now raising this child. Seems like a lot of money to me. But the amount that they settled on was $20,000 per month. Problem is now Hunter Biden has become a deadbeat dad. Uh, The allegation is that Hunter... Uh, is having trouble making these payments because he went back to court and said he wants to have this reduced and reduced severely and that he had um, reached an agreement in 2020, um, but that he was not, he, he wants to reduce the payment. So he's going back to, um, going back to court. Here's the problem for Hunter Biden. It it creates all kinds of other problems because now the court is looking at it saying, well, tell us where this income is. You say that you don't have any income, but we want to see it. And all these redactions, the judge, she has looked at this and said, I'm sorry, this ain't going to cut it. You're going to have to tell us where this income comes from. And a lot of this supposedly comes from his art sales. So somebody with no art, background, no history, no history of selling art is now making some pretty good money on it, but is redacting who it's coming from, how much it is. And we're going to see it play out. But Hunter, you asked to have this reopened. You can't pony up. And I'm sorry, but shame on the president for not acknowledging his seventh grandchild. It's just totally ignoring this person and this question. And it's just a sad scene. But This woman needs some help raising this child, of which Hunter Biden is the father and the grandfather is Joe Biden. All right. Last thing I want to mention in the news is Lori Lightfoot, who is the former mayor of Chicago, a sanctuary city, is now complaining about illegal immigration. Now that she lost a primary, she didn't even make it to the general election. She was a horrific, terrible, one of the worst mayors we've had in this country. And now, now she's out there saying that crime's a problem. She's saying illegal immigration's a problem, that the city can't sustain it. But she didn't say any of those things in office. She ridiculed Republicans for bringing them up. Oh, no. Now, now she's starting to sing and say different things than she did in office. It's the hypocrisy that I think drives everybody note, everybody crazy. And that I wanted to highlight here as part of the news. All right, let's... Uh, Let's go to the stupid, because you know what? There's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. Two things that came to to light as I was looking through the news this week. Uh, One is the White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. On Monday, she avoided mentioning that the man accused of murdering the five people, you know, the one that we talked about before with Time Magazine, that he was an illegal immigrant and that he was previously deported five times. Somehow, if you're going to have any credibility standing there at the microphone representing the United States of America through the White House, 
that's kind of a material fact that she left out. And uh, it was just wrong. And I think it's stupid that she tries to pull that wool over our eyes. The second thing that caught my eye was this. <laughs> I love this. And I, I don't know if it was a setup, but there was an art, a piece of art in South Korea. And it picture a, a white wall and a banana and then a piece of duct tape kind of diagonally over the banana, holding it to the wall. Now, some weird art somebody somewhere came up with the idea that this was worth $120,000. And that this artist was supposedly famous for doing these types of things. And this was like a really amazing piece. I don't get it. I mean, I wouldn't even pay $5 for that um, because you can buy a banana for less than five bucks. But anyway, it's up there. And then there was a student, a young kid. uh, I saw a picture of him and going through this museum, evidently, and saw that the banana was stuck on the wall, pulled the tape off, took the banana, ate the banana, pulled back the tape, put the empty peel on it, put the duct tape back on it. And he later said, well, I ate it because I was hungry and nobody else was eating it. So, and I left the peel on there and I thought that was pretty funny, but I thought it was pretty stupid that anybody would think that this was a $120,000 piece of art. But I guess the kid got a nutritious snack and good for him. And that's the stupid. All right. Time to bring on Emily Campagno again. She is uh, one of our Fox favorites and, uh, Let's uh let's dial up Emily. This is Emily. Hey, it's Jason Chaffetz. Hey, how's it going, buddy? Thanks for letting me catch you. It's good to to talk to you outside and off the couch there from Outnumbered. It's so fun to have more than a commercial break to talk, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, our conversations happen in three minutes, maybe four minute spurts. That's about <laughs> that's about right. Yeah. Well, you're doing an amazing job there. And obviously, and we see it throughout the network, see a lot on Gutfeld, that's for sure. And then, uh, but this podcast, you're rocking and rolling with this uh, this true crime podcast. Tell us about it. Oh, thank you so much for that. I, I really appreciate it. And especially coming from you, Jason, because I too see you everywhere. And I just want you to know, I'm always grateful for your contributions. So even if I'm, if, even if it's not that commercial break that we're together, or the elevator, I'm watching you and supporting you. you always have such great insight and contributions and value add to every show you're on. So I, I really appreciate you well, saying thanks. that. You can keep going. Give me time. Keep going. Yeah. No, the I'm Fox True Crime Podcast has been such an extraordinary endeavor. And what sets us apart is really the connection of the guest to the crime that we're talking about. So there's a lot of podcasts out there that are, of course, they're all fascinating in, in their own rights. But what sets us apart is that we have the FBI investigator that never gave up. We have the sister of the missing girl who's been missing for 20 years. We have the criminal. I've spoken to everyone from the most prolific art forger in American history that evaded FBI conviction to an actual mob boss, Michael Francis. That episode drops today where he discusses not only growing up in a mafia family, his father was an underboss of the Colombo crime family, but then he himself joined the mafia. He became a capo regime. And then he went on to, defying all odds, actually leave the mafia without being a rat, without going to witness protection, and only going to jail for a little bit. So stories like those, that perspectives, they're just unparalleled and you won't find them anywhere else. And to our point earlier about 
being you know sort of pressed for time. There is none here. These episodes are an hour, a little over an hour, sometimes even longer, and you get that full gripping story. There's no article. There's no TV episode that really does justice to these stories and the level of detail and perspective that you will find with my Fox True Crime podcast is something I'm so proud to be a part of and uh, really honored by. And I know all listeners will absolutely love it. Well, it's rocking and rolling. And I know Fox is putting a lot of resources and they picked the best host because you, you got the right background and and the right voice. Not not everybody has a voice. That works. <laughs> I hate my voice. <laughs> you Thank you for See, saying that. That's so funny that you say that because I I can try to describe all these really scratchy, high, like nasally. Uh, but you have a very pleasant voice to listen to. Oh, thank you for that. You know how it is. It's always hard to watch yourself or listen to yourself after the fact. So I usually just, you know, no, no, close my ears to me, but true. listen to the guests. That's not true. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. I, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, you know, it's uh, it, anyway, it works. It's obviously working because you wouldn't have this kind of success. But OK, so. Emily, part of what I like to do in my podcast, this Jason in the House podcast, is go back. I want to try to figure out how Emily became the Emily Campagna that we know now. So I want you to go back in the in the time machine here and take us back to I was born in. And let's just kind of walk through how you and I ended up spending time together, both working at Fox. And, uh, you know, it's funny to me how people like their lives cross paths and then you spending time with them. And I don't know that we ever would have except for Fox, but go back to I was born in and tell us a little bit about your family growing up and and those inflection points of those big things in your life that really changed the trajectory of uh, getting to where you are today. Sure, I'd be happy to. So I was born in Oak Knoll Naval Hospital in Oakland, California. My father was a commander in the Navy. And my mom at the time, I think she was in between... she was a chemist and then eventually a genealogist, a librarian in between. Um, so at that point, though, I think she was either a librarian or a stay-at-home mom at that moment. Um, she's always been an active volunteer and had so many projects and all of those endeavors dovetailed and sort of cross over. So she was always like our school librarian. And um, both of my parents played an instrumental part in Forming who I am today and especially in instilling in me values of faith and family, freedom and love of country. And I'm the youngest of three girls. And we lived uh, there in the Bay Area for a couple years. And then my father accepted a position in Decatur, Illinois. And he was a physician. And just before having to move, he'd already accepted the position, but right before we actually physically moved, my father was diagnosed with a um, very aggressive breast cancer that had already spread to her lymph nodes. 12 nodes were positive. Um, A very, very aggressive uh, cancer with a a terminal prognosis, to be frank. So at that point, um, they had already committed to the move. So he had to move the family, three girls, three young girls. We were all under the age of, let's see if I was all under the age of seven. Um, We moved to Illinois and had some family join us to take care of the girls. And my dad focused on supporting the family and my mom focused on a recovery, what ended up being a miraculous recovery. So I have a few memories from Illinois. I was little, obviously, from three to about five, um, just under five. But the memories were, they didn't include my mom. My, My first memories of my mom really were 
when we had moved back to California afterward because she had been battling this cancer and against truly all odds, she survived. And that remains our family's miracle. And um, every day because of that, I knew what a gift it was to have my mom with me. She had lost her mother when my mom was six years old. She had been raised by her paternal grandparents because at that day and age, it was improper for you know a single father to raise two kids. So right. yeah. um, I really grew up appreciating what it was like to have my mother, how not to take it for granted, what a blessing it was. And our community, our family um, is so close. We, you know, a Sicilian American family on my dad's side and my mom, um, English and Austrian, Bavarian, and um, especially in our home, you know, we're so close, partly because of what happened and partly because by virtue of who my parents are, they're storytellers. And, you know, everyone who learns more about their family appreciates and knows who their identity is. So I grew up knowing exactly who I was. I knew my family immigration stories. I knew the stories of who, you know, my my mother's mother who had passed and all of these characters in my life. The constellation of love that I was a part of was really articulable to me. And so um, I had, we had a, a really lovely, happy, beautiful childhood for which I'm so grateful. And, you know, it was super fun too. It was the eighties in the Bay area. You know, I have uh, two older sisters, like I mentioned, and I really cherished all of that. We were super active and riding horses. sports? Were yeah, totally. Music? What were you doing? All of the above. I started playing the piano at age four, dancing at age three. Um, I played Four years of varsity soccer in high school, but I had always chose dance. Like every year I had to choose between ballet and soccer because they were the same. And I always chose ballet, <laughs> always stuck with the piano all throughout um, and then got to do both. Once I got to high school, I was a curious child. I went to a ranch camp every summer because my sisters in Illinois had both shown horses competitively. I was too young. Um, like my sister was state champion in Illinois of um, of her like we have the cutest picture of her. She's like five or like seven or something. Right. Um, and then, so when we moved to California, we all loved horses. So I went to a ranch camp every summer in the Sierras, um, learning how to ranch and basic farming. And it was really an incredible exposure and contrast that with growing up in an urban existence right, right. in the Bay. It was really a beautiful representation of, of what California had to offer at that time. All of my extended family were in the Monterey area, you know, very Italian American community there. So we loved going there for the weekends and hanging out on the beach and, um, and then, you know, in, in junior high, I was sort of articulating my goals and wanted to be a fighter pilot and an astronaut. So I went to space camp and space academy and uh, aviation challenge. And then as I neared into high school, I was like, I want to go to the Air Force Academy. I interned at the astrophysics uh, department of the National Lawrence Berkeley Library um, or laboratory there in Berkeley. Um, so I was a really, you know. You were active. Yes. You, you were right. You were doing everything. <laughs> You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Emily Campagno right after this. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals 
to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. You know, I watch you on Instagram. I see you post up some things. You also have this like love of cars. Where did that come from? Yeah, so I would say definitely my dad, but he loves... His loves are more of the European cars. So we always had like a little Alfa Romeo classic convertible. And so I would go to car shows and stuff with him. But the muscle car tenor that I love was, that's just me. That was sort of literally just me. But the exposure and appreciation appreciation for cars and mechanics came definitely from my dad's influence, I would say. But um, muscle cars. Well, yeah, he's got a couple of, he's got three girls. I don't know that... Um... You know, they were necessarily going to follow in his footstep. But any kid who's turning 16 and the ability and the opportunity to drive, then they suddenly like, wow, that's freedom right there. (laughs) Of course I like cars. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we um, I definitely went to like we did all that stuff before I was 16. But for sure, I mean, when I was 16, the car I got was a Volvo station wagon, which I was grateful for. Hilarious. That would be a really cool car. (laughs) Do you still have it? Because. That's like a classic now. That's like James Bondish. Totally. We yeah, not quite like my Mach One James Bond, but um, no, we don't have. I don't think we have that one. No, my mom has like a newer Volvo station wagon. Um, but it definitely was hilarious. I'd pack kids in it all the time. Like I think my my record was twelve kids in a Volvo station wagon. Yeah. Again, it was you know early nineties, like a different that does time sound like back fun. then. <laughs> yeah, the eighties. Yeah. Um. <laughs> so. At, at some point, you got to kind of decide what you're going to do with your life. Um, did that, when did that start? When did you start thinking about, I mean, high school, did you like, hey, you know, at some point I'm going to fly away from this nest and, and I got to make an income. Did you ever go through that? How, how, what happened? Well, that was really uh, junior high when, as I mentioned, I mean, I, I was clear with my goal of being, I wanted to be a fighter pilot for the Air Force, and then I wanted to become a test pilot for NASA. And I sort of knew that being an astronaut was likely not likely given my, um, you know, my limitations of the science and math part of my brain, but I, I <laughs> genuinely wanted to be a fighter pilot. Um, and then a test pilot for NASA. So I did everything I could and worked for, you know, applied to the U.S. Air Force Academy, also applied for a ROTC scholarship. And I went to the summer scientific seminar at USAFA. Um, so I, I really was was very focused and very goal oriented, frankly, from a young age and all the while performing arts and performing in ballets and school productions and theater and music concerts and sports. So I was I was very active and curious. And I have to say, Jason, that Looking back, like part of why I credit that, um, the amount that I read 
you know, my mom being a librarian, like we were such a reading household and the imagination was just fostered. And the fact that there was no internet and no social media. You're listening to Jason in the house. We'll be back with more of my conversation with Emily Campagno right after this. Yeah. There was got to get out and do things and create yes. your own fun. And, and, you know, I think it's no accident. I think uh, parents who can instill that sense of curiosity and that confidence, you know, I look back and I tried and did some things like most kids would probably look at that and say, no, nah, I can't do that. Or no, somebody else would do it. But my parents instilled into me this, this idea and this notion, Hey, why not you? If, if you can do that, if somebody else is going to do it, but focus determines reality. So you know, if you focus on it and you work at it, then you got a shot at it, right? And But the, not everybody kind of gets that lesson. Absolutely. And again, I credit my family with um, always demanding hard work and effort and sustained diligence while also fostering me to be me. There was never pressure to do, to do anything that I didn't want to do. It was just whatever I did, I needed to apply myself toward. So it's good. Yeah. You know, we did chores in my house. Like we were, there's no, there was never a lack of hard work ethic that was being fostered. What's the worst chore you could choose? Oh, I loved my chores. really don't like, like I, my chore that I don't like to do is flossing. Oh, (laughs) I love flossing. Um, well (laughs) I, we grew up with a wood burning fireplace that sort of heated the house. So what I loved was carrying, going out to the wood pile and bringing in, I had to, my chore was three loads that my little arms could carry. I love that because I could put on my like wood apron and I would pretend that I was like a wood elf. Um, and then I was the duster, like the pledge. We'd wood everywhere. So hate I was dusting. the, hate <laughs> you're so funny. I loved all the chores. I hate the dusting. Washing the cars with my dad. I, I, one of my chores was I had to wash our cars, my parents' cars every week. And, you know, at this point I'm in Arizona. It's hot out. There's water. I'm good. That was not a hard chore. I didn't mind doing that. Um, but yeah, interesting. Okay. So you also have a love of football. I know you do because I, I think you cheer for the same team that, you know, I have, uh, some affinity for as well. That's right. Go Raiders. So that's cause I was born up in the Bay area when I was a little kid, it was the 49ers and the Raiders, but I had more of a penchant towards the Raiders. I just did. I just, that was old school. I'm old, older than you. And, and uh, you know, Ken Stabler and all those guys. Ray yeah, Guy stork. ended up being a place kicker. And, you know, they, yeah, there were some uh, Frank Bolitnikoff. Yeah. I mean, there were some old school uh, football that I just loved. John Madden, the whole bit. But where did that come from in Emily? Well, again, so I was, you know, born in Oakland, raised in the Bay Area. So that was my team. Raiders, like you just said, Raiders were our team. I was... The 49ers across the bay, I mean, that's the equivalent of, um, you know, giants to jets. Like, there's no, there's a body of water. Yankees, yeah. Yeah, there's a big body of water separating us. So there was no, there was never a geographical question who my team was. Um, And again, I had been dancing since I was three years old. So I loved dancing, um, loved football. And the thing to close that loop, so I, you know, I, I ended up not getting accepted to USAFA as an undergrad. And that was pretty devastating for me and also really surprising. But I did get a four-year Air Force ROTC targeted scholarship in meteorology randomly because I had applied under the um, aeronautical and astronautical engineering departments of of all these schools. And what that meant was that I could go to any school I wanted um, if I majored in meteorology, then the Air Force would pay for it. And bless my parents because they encouraged me. You could, there was a, for a certain amount of money. So you could either do, you know, a little bit each year or it could cover, 
you know, two full years or three full years or whatever it was. So they said, well, go and do your Air Force ROTC, but don't take any money from them because, you know, thankfully we didn't need it at that time for my tuition. And then that way you can make your own decision. You're not beholden to the right, government. Right. So they, they, again, preserving my options, as they always said. So I went to University of Washington um, thinking that, okay, I'll, I'll major in meteorology and do Air Force ROTC. And I determined two years into it, I know that there's a height requirement to be a fighter pilot, that it's 5'4", but I kept telling myself, well, by the time I get there, there will be an allowance. There will be, <laughs> that that window will be um, inapplicable anymore, which is true. Now, there is no window. It is not 5'4 to 6'4 that it used to be. So I was just a little ahead of my time. So when it came time to sign on the dotted line of the Air Force to say, you're now going to commission, or you're now going to, um, sorry, not commission, you go to the um, BT. ETC, whatever that summer program was, uh -huh. after which you are like, then you're committed, you're in it to win it. And then right. you would commission after college. Um, they said, I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm too small to be a fighter pilot, like guaranteed, confirmed. They are not, there's no waivers, there's no nothing. And therefore I'm not going to sign. I'm not going to sign because yeah. I wasn't going to be in there yeah, for no so if I couldn't be a pilot. Yeah. Right. So then it was perfect because I hadn't taken any money. So I didn't owe anything, but I had my two years of all that growth. I won cadet of the quarter, which was a really, um, it was an award I was really proud of because I knew I was also in a sorority and I did a lot of stuff on campus that weren't necessarily typical of an ROTC cadet. And I was so proud that they viewed me as worthy of that award when I think in the beginning they might have thought like who's this sorority girl here yeah, we've right seen this before this ain't gonna happen right yeah. yeah so because of that um at that time I or so that that happened and then I ended up um studying abroad I I sailed around the world on a floating university oh, and of course you did. in yeah. that in that um <laughs> semester I traveled through a lot of third world countries and saw the depths to which um, a lot of people exist in, in countries that are so poor and so lacking and contrasted with how fortunate and blessed we are in America. So I came back and thought, well, there's two ways that you can help serve others. You can do it on a micro level. You know, you can go and like pass out food and, and boots on ground help, or you can do it at a macro level. And I told myself, I'm going to go to law school and help affect change to help others because I'm going to take advantage of the educational opportunities that America affords me and that my family, by immigrating here, by serving in the military, I come from a strong military family. I'm like, that's how I can honor them. So that's what led to me going to law school and becoming an, art, an, art, an attorney and why that uh, pivot happened from space and flight, which I still love, Jason. I still love to this day. I just went to the Air and Space Museum the other weekend. Like I, I, I'm still passionate about all that. I just never got to um, pursue it professionally. Yeah, but yeah. it's sort of funny because you mentioned Raiders and I was in Iraq and Kuwait um, on a USO tour with Raiders um, and the C-130, I believe it was, that we got out of when we flew from, at that point, Kuwait to Baghdad. We get off on the tarmac and the pilot of that the pilot of that um, was a, a girl and she was shorter than I was. And I was standing there in my Raiders like tracksuit uniform and she was in her flight suit. And it was like a sliding doors moment where I thought to myself, that could have been me. I was just a little, again, a little ahead of my time. But here we are standing together on the tarmac in Baghdad in a military base. And she's in a flight suit and I'm an attorney and a Raiderette 
and in my Raider at uniform. And it was a really interesting moment for me to see um, that perhaps I was exactly where I could have been if the window wasn't 5-4, if it was 5-3. But um, I, I loved and wouldn't change anything about my life getting to that same point and getting to now. So fast forward, um, become a successful attorney. You've been a Raider at. How did you make the connection and, to Fox? Well, when I was in law school, that was sort of the birth of the time of the business model that a lot of these network programs have right now, where you have the expert coming on, you know, the the uh -huh. sort of formula that we employ here. So being a legal analyst really at that time was just sort of emerging in that very common way. Um, and so that's when I was like, that would be you know, the dog mauling trial that uh, Kimberly Guilfoyle was a major part of in San Francisco. I was in San Francisco for that. So there was a lot of it, factors that were just emerging and becoming sort of prevalent. So I articulated it then, but I knew that I had to have a career first. Of course, you can't just come on TV and talk. Right. You have to have experience before your contributions are, you know, credible. Yeah, yeah. So I just kept that goal in mind and then kept practicing law and then while cheering in the NFL. And then after I left the NFL, the short answer is a local network gave me a shot. I utilized and leveraged my media network after cheering for all those years. Mm -hmm. um, and I, by then I'd been practicing for like five or six years. So a network in Arizona gave me a shot because I was living there at the time. And, and then I just kept rising my way up, getting more and more experience. And then um, then, then Fox, then Fox became, and, and the first time I was on Fox, if I remember correctly, I was here in town for a week. So I think like I was on every day for a week and then, and that was a dream come true. And then fast forward to exclusive to Fox. And then I have the honor of co-hosting outnumbered. Yeah. Well, you must, the first week must've gone well. They've kept inviting <laughs> you back. So a few years in between though. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that's usually a good, good sign. Um, all right. So. I could spend like another hour and a half kind of diving through your background and your history. It's fascinating. I love people who just try everything, do everything and just go for it. So hats off to you for, for that. But Thank you. in the essence of time, I do have some rapid questions for you. Oh, okay. We, we ask every person and you know, I don't care how many Raider games you went to. How long were you a Raider at? Three years. Three years. Yeah. Uh, you're not really prepared for these questions, but strap in. We're going to ask you. Anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you ready? Yes. Uh, first, first concert you attended. Oh, um, Lollapalooza, if you count that, which is a music yeah. festival. So that right. was There's Smashing Pumpkins and um, Tribe Called Quest. Uh, and then, how but, old were you? You had to be first uh, concert. You you. I was like twelve, probably. Twelve, 12 13. Old, a, But then it's for a the, great start to a concert going at twelve. That's good. That's totally. interesting. But then I think the band, the first actual band, was BC Boys. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> In Oakland. <laughs> um, I do like the Beastie Boys. They got some songs that just ring. You say Beastie Boys, and they can hear their songs totally. ringing in my head. Um, what was your high school mascot? The Gauchos. We were green and white. The green and white Gauchos of oh, very good, interesting. Um, who is your first celebrity crush? Like when you're a little girl. Um, Mikhail Baryshnikov. <laughs> wow. And David Copperfield. I think I, I had tons of Mikhail Baryshnikov posters up and then randomly like one David Copperfield because we went to see him do a magic show and I was like, ah, he's so cute. And I was literally like seven. <laughs> I, I went and saw David Copperfield magic act. I My first thought was, oh, it was not, he, he's so cute. It was like, 
unbelievable how good and how entertaining his show is. If you're in Vegas or somewhere and David Copperfield is performing, go out of your way. It is unbelievable. Like, and I was sitting really close. My brother and I watched him really close. And I'm like, I still can't figure out how he did it. It was unbelievable. Awesome. So, so yeah, awesome. I got a, got a man crush on him, but, you know, <laughs> not that kind. Just, like, in awe of his talent. It's just amazing. Um, favorite vegetable? Oh, um, probably maybe artichokes. I love the way you pronounce that. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know that we've ever had artichokes show up, but I certainly have never had anybody who said artichoke. <laughs> but that is very cute. I like it. I like that answer. Artichokes. You do get a prize, though, because you'd be surprised. The majority of people answer that question can't name a vegetable. You usually oh. come up with an answer that's not a vegetable. And I'm like, <laughs> so you get big, big points for that. Nice. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Oh, 100% yes. Oh, Emily, you were on a roll. We should have cut it from there. The judges hate that answer. I knew I was going to be excommunicated after this. I don't care. Hot fruit, all in. I love <laughs> Hawaiian pizza. I, I love, yes, pineapples. And that's like one of my favorite. That's the thing. Like, not only do I like it, but <laughs> one of it's generally what I order would be See? Hawaiian for those listening, this is why Emily is so successful. She doesn't just own, I mean, she doesn't just answer in, in a little tepid, well, yeah, she owns it. You want it after that. How am I supposed to swat that one back? That Six gear, first gear, always. You're, you're all in on that one. All right, if we go out for pizza, I'm getting just the pepperoni. No, no wet fruit on my pizza. I'm sorry, just not doing that. Uh, did you have a pet growing up? I did. Yes. We had, um, dog, cat, gerbil. What was it? My our first pet, my first pet, my first. Cause again, I'm the youngest. So there were others before me. She was a black cat that I named Bagheera, which all you jungle book fans out there know yes, is the name of the, book. Yeah. yeah. So Bagheera. Oh, that's a good name. <laughs> uh, 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 just a couple more questions real quick. Unique talent that nobody knows about. Some you can do. Most people say, oh, that nobody knew I could do that. I feel like everyone knows stuff about me. Um, like Trace Gallagher. You know what his is? No. He was like a professional water skier. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah, so, that was a really cool one, really right? Really cool. Um, I mean, I feel like people people know a lot of my stuff. I don't know. I really love trivia like I, I'm good at oh, bar really? trivia. Like my, oh. my family is like a championship, literally bar trivia team. Like <laughs> they literally trivia. win like all the, um, cause we win drinking too. I don't, so yeah, I don't know. I love to travel. I mean, I don't know. I'm sorry. I feel like okay, I'm a no, lame, that's a good that's answer. answer. Trivia is, okay. Two more questions. What's that other thing for Emily Campagna? Like how, when you want to get away, clear your head, walk away from all the problems, challenges, all the stress of life. What's that thing that you do that just allows you to kind of escape and, Put you in a happy place. Well, I absolutely love being outside and I love animals and I love horseback riding and I love, you know me, I love like doing and getting away yeah. outside in nature. But what the fundamental too, like the the easy one I can just do in five seconds is driving my car. My 72 Mach 1 driving my car is, I, I love that. That's the ultimate freedom. Well, you've got and, a cooler car than most, and but I do, I get in my Ford F-150 nice. car I'm driving and crank up the music and I'm in a happy place. Totally. All right. Last question. Best advice you ever got. Oh, 
gosh, there's so much. But at this moment, I'll just focus on that you are enough. Like all you are, be all you are. And that's amazing. And never, ever, ever take no for an answer. Good answer. Good answer. Uh, Emily Campagno, everybody. Fox True Crime Podcast with Emily Campagno. Also the co-host of Outnumbered. And you can see her pretty much on every other show, especially (laughs) Gutfeld. We didn't even talk about that, but we'll have to do that another day. Thanks so much for joining us, Emily. Really do appreciate it. Jason in the house. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for being interested in me and asking these questions. And may I never end up on your podcast when you're doing true crime. (laughs) I hope I never get invited for that one. We might do a legislative angle. (laughs) That would not be a good sign. (laughs) All right, Jason. Thank you again so much for having me. Really, I'm so grateful. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. All right. I cannot thank Emily enough. You can see we could have kept going for a couple hours in that discussion there. She's doing so much and fascinating background and uh, encourage you to listen to her podcast. I hope with this podcast, you can rate it. That would be nice. Subscribe to it. Uh, you can, I would remind people that you can listen ad free with a Fox News podcast plus subscription on Apple podcasts and Amazon prime members can listen to this show ad free on the Amazon Music app. Again, thanks for listening to to this Jason in the House podcast. Um, You can find more at thefoxnewspodcast.com. Again, rate it if you can. Subscribe to it. We'll be back with more next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and this has been Jason in the House. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.